You've reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. Five minutes. Five minutes, ten minutes ago. What's going on with those sausages, Charlie? I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, Bunk? And we're back talking about yet another streaming movie on another streaming service. Richard, uh, how do you feel about the fact that this has become the streaming service movie podcast? Uh, I'm here for it, honestly. Uh, I, I dig it. I think it's uh, I think it's kind of nice, actually, especially considering everything that's going on in the world. It's it's uh, it's pretty cool to be able to fire up a new movie every week uh, in the comfort of your home and this, the safety of your home, more importantly. In the safety of your home, you're absolutely correct. So uh, tonight, our main movie we're going to talk about is The Little Things, which can be found on uh, HBO Max right now. It is a Warner Brothers production and or release, I guess is a better term. Um so, as Warner Brothers stated they were going to do this year, everything that was coming out theatrically would also come out on HBO Max for a month. Um, before we get into that, we're going to talk about the Golden Globe nominations that happened while we were off the air. And speaking of streaming services, uh, Netflix was the big like big big nominee there. They got like 20, 20 something nominations. Wow. Yeah, uh, let's see. Wow. It's all the way here at the bottom, of course. Nominations by Motion Picture Distributor, Netflix 22, Amazon Studios 7, Focus Features 5, Searchlight Pictures 5, Sony Pictures 5, Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures 5, and it goes on from there. Um, with Shudder all the way at the bottom with one. But, ooh, what, ooh, I'm excited for that one. You want to know what the one from Shudder is? Yeah, what was it? <laughs> oh, I don't know. We'll get to it, though. <laughs> oh, man. The suspense and tension is killing me. Uh, I know, I know. Uh, all right, but, listeners, you're going to take this journey with me, and now I hope that whatever it is is amazing, because if not, we're all going to feel disappointed together. I mean, do you have a, a subscription to, to Shudder? So here's my thing. Uh, no, and <laughs> but let me let me uh, let me backtrack that a second by saying I I I want to get one because there is a show on there that is called Blood Machines, or it's like maybe a mini series or a limited series or whatever uh, that I really want to watch. And I ju- I don't know why I just I haven't done it yet. Like it just feels so foreign to try to find or buy into a shutter account like everything else is so accessible and easy to get to well i mean yeah that's the one thing is about it is i don't think it has a a app i don't know maybe it does but uh you know what you can do they usually offer up a free trial for uh, at least seven days so you should try that out you can watch blood machines and see if there's other things on there that you want to watch and then go back if you do yeah, I, I that's actually not a horrible idea. It, it's just that, like, I, I don't know. I feel like anybody who has been listening to us on this show or any other show we've ever done ever in the history of us knows that neither you or I are huge, like, horror fans. True. And that's what 
Shutter, at least that's from my understanding, that's what Shutter is kind of like a niche streaming platform, mostly targeting, I would say, like horror with maybe a dash of thriller and a sprinkle of suspense films i guess i don't know is that fair no i think it's just horror it's <laughs> is it just horror oh I wow it doesn't even get horror and slasher films um no. i did do the trial for a little bit because i watched the in search of darkness documentary was which was all about the 80s horror movies um oh. they, they even have a sequel to that documentary now which i'm i don't know if they do more 80s or if they go into the 90s horror movies but yeah that was uh that was a pretty good documentary actually it was really long surprisingly uh i also watched the the quarantine horror movie that was on shutter exclusively and i can't remember what the name of it is at the moment uh that was actually a really good movie and really good horror film um yeah like you said i'm not a big horror person in the first place but uh, i thought for being the beginning of pandemic, they did a really good job, uh, uh, especially keeping it in, you know, in, in the zoom format, the, the screen life genre, so to speak. Hmm. Well, let's do this before we move on listeners. If you think that I should do shutter tweet at geek elite media on Twitter and let me know if it's worth the price of admission to, to try it out at least. So the movie was called host. If you uh, had, you haven't watched yet, watch the trailer, check it out. You you Ooh. might be interested. All right, best picture or best motion picture drama for the Golden Globes. Uh, the the nominees are The Father, Mank, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Now, two of these movies we watched for this very podcast. How do you feel about Mank and Trial of the Chicago Seven making it on there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I felt like both of those were really good movies. I I mean, again, this is where, you know, I feel like this weird's going to get, or this weird, this year is going to get weird for not only the Golden Globes, but I mean, also the, the Academy Awards as well, right? Because weirdly, outside of streaming platforms, there has not been that many films that have really been released, especially compared to traditional uh, years. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I think this is pretty incredible. I You said, what, The Father Mank, No... Nomadland, which... Nomadland? Uh, okay. Yeah, Nomadland, which uh, I just saw a like uh, promo on Facebook that Harkins and Phoenix is going to get it to uh, because of its nominations here. Like You, you can go watch it there if you uh, do feel like you're safe enough to go watch it in a movie theater. Hmm. Yeah, see, I, I, I haven't heard anything about that movie, or I believe the other one you said was Promising Young Woman, question yeah. mark? Yes, Promising Young Woman with, um. oh, I always want to say Sally Sparrow, because that was her character in Doctor Who, and I can't think of her name at the moment, but uh, she's a great actress, and I, I've been wanting to Harry see... Prom- yes, Carrie Mulligan. Oh, okay. uh, I want, I've been wanting to watch Promising Young Woman. Like It, it looks so good. Hmm. Yeah, see, I, I'm kind of, um, I go, I don't know, removed from the pulse on those. I don't really know anything about them, unfortunately. So, but, but same with the father. I don't really know anything. I don't, I haven't actually, I don't think I've heard anything about that one either. So I'm, I'm kind of behind uh, on that. I, I'm going to see maybe if we can, I don't know if I could watch these before, <laughs> before the uh, Golden Globes happens, but uh, it would certainly be interesting. 
Uh, the trial of the Chicago seven, I really enjoyed. I thought it was a very, uh, you know, it's a good movie, but uh, again, I think it's an unfortunate movie that it's still relevant in today's society. I think that's maybe the best way to word that, you know, is a little heart wrenching that it's still extremely relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, Mank is, I don't know. I think the thing about Mank that fascinates me is that traditionally speaking, Hollywood loves movies about Hollywood. And so my question is, is well, does that kind of put Mank into a bit of a front running advantage question mark? Maybe. Uh, I, I definitely, I definitely understand where you're coming from. Hollywood does love movies about Hollywood. So it, it could, I, I would say of the two movies that we watched on this list, I definitely liked trial of the Chicago seven more than I liked Mank. Uh, but that's just me in the, in the way that I don't particularly care for nonlinear storytelling. Um, and yeah, I, I haven't, I hadn't heard, I don't know anything about the father. I at least know of the name Nomadland and the director, uh, Chloe, Chloe Zhao. Uh, but, uh, promising young woman's the one that I want to see out of the, out of the ones that I hadn't seen. So there's that, uh, best performance by an actress in a motion picture drama, Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Andra Day, The United States versus Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby, Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand, uh, Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan, Promising Young Woman. Uh, I've only seen one of these. I saw Viola Davis in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Great performance. It's 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 a movie that is an ad- adaptation of a stage play, and it's it's just good. I mean, it's 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 also uh, Chadwick Boseman's last performance uh, in, on screen. So. There was that going into it, knowing that, and uh, it's 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 a good watch. So, uh, had you got a chance to check out any of these other ones? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, you're reading them, and I'm like, oh boy, I no, I haven't. Um, and again, that's really kind of disheartening. I, I I need to do this. Needs to be my my resolution. I think for <laughs> maybe 2022 it might already be too far gone for 2021, but um. I, I don't know. I need to get back into watching more movies. I just, I don't, I don't know. It's fascinating because I think I haven't really heard of many of these. And I think you were kind of saying you've heard of most of these and were genuinely excited to, at some point, get a chance to watch them. No. Yes. Yes. Most of them I have heard of. I, I had heard of the United States versus Billy holiday. Uh, I hadn't really heard anything about it yet, but I had heard of it. Um, and pieces of a woman, I've only heard good things. So, uh, there's that, uh, I, you know what? And, and, I don't. I, I want to say, don't be too hard on yourself, Richard. Like it is. I know we are in the time of pandemic and quarantine and lockdown and, and stuff like that. So everybody feels like they have all the time in the world to do all the things, but then you really don't. You fill up your time with things that you need to do, and you have to figure out new ways to do the things that you used to do very easily. So you don't I don't beat like- yourself up. I feel like that is uh, definitely a part of this scenario for me. I know things have been uh, pretty wild for me, actually. Like, they they didn't slow down uh, like they did for most people. But the other thing that I'm sitting here thinking about, and and I don't know if it's just uh, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe the entertainment that I'm consuming has changed so much that I'm not seeing any of these movies promoted. 
but I, I legitimately haven't, not only have I not heard of these, I have also not even seen like a trailer or anything. You know what I mean? I think like traditionally in the past, like when, when I would go to the theater a lot, you do get to see a handful of trailers before the movie starts. And when now, when you're kind of like locked into the streaming platforms, you don't really get that as much. Like every once in a while, I'll see something if Netflix is like really pushing one of their originals or Amazon or Apple or, or one of them is like really pushing something that they're doing. But I feel like maybe that's another reason. Like I feel like I'm just not getting these movies marketed to, uh, marketed to me the way I would have previously to the pandemic happening. Uh, you know, and I, I completely understand that. I am abnormal because I run our social media for Geekly Media, so I get to uh, see all these trailers and post them and, and, and discuss them with our followers. So I have that unique advantage. And anybody that's listening to this podcast, if you like to uh, see trailers more often, go to our social media. I post them every Friday for just about all the, the, the streaming platforms. Uh, there you go. Just a nice shameless plug. Uh, but Rich, like I said, Richard, don't beat yourself up too much. Uh, you, you'll get to, if you decide you want to start watching more movies this year, then, uh, you'll get to it if you can. That's fair. Best, (laughs) best performance (laughs) by an actor in a motion picture drama, Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal, Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Anthony Hopkins for The Father, Gary Oldman for Mank, and Tahar... Taharahim, uh, the Mar the Mauritanian, Mauritanian. I you know I keep seeing that title and I don't know exactly how to say it and I did not watch that trailer. Uh, but now that I see that it's Anthony Hopkins in the Father, I know what movie this is. Uh, I believe <laughs> he's got like Alzheimer's, or at least someone is trying to make him believe that he has Alzheimer's. And uh, his, they the actress who plays his daughter switches out in the trailer, and it's it very it seems like a very trippy uh, um, psychological thriller. So I am now excited to watch this movie. <laughs> That's interesting because I feel like um, I feel like Owen Wilson had a movie kind of not that they're trying to convince him that he has Alzheimer's or whatever, but like he has another one that's come out or is coming out fairly recently to like Amazon Prime. That's very like that meets kind of vanilla sky it's like i think him and salva hayek have you seen the trailer for that i have it's called bliss and it came out last weekend oh there you go yeah see i feel like maybe there's like somebody pitched that script and they're like no we don't want it and then they're like get anthony hopkins in your stat we got a movie idea well there was um there was the movie that was i think it's either english or australian movie with emily uh, emily mortimer in it uh called the relic where it was three women of three different generations of one family, and uh, the grandmother is seemingly to be suffering from uh, Alzheimer's and how that's affecting the other two, and it turns out to be a very much a horror thriller movie towards the end. So I don't know if it's uh, the idea. That, that came out, uh, I want to say, a year and a half ago. So maybe that's the, the thing. is Because like, you get a lot of these horror movies that are like, real social issues that we're we're kind of throwing into a weird supernatural or uh otherworldly kind of mask to help people understand it better i guess 
No, I, I mean, I, I could totally see that. And I mean, it's not uncommon for us to get movies that have similar, you know, plots and stuff like that. I mean, like A Bug's Life and Ant's Tale, The Illusionist and the Prestige, Olympus Has Fallen, White House Down, Armageddon, Deep Impact. I mean, like, it's not really that uncommon for that no. to happen. But I, I always find it really, I guess, kind of fascinating what might inspire uh, another, you know, film to be made. It's, it's always just really interesting to me. Best motion picture, musical, or comedy, Borat subsequent movie film, Hamilton, music, Palm Springs, and The Prom. Uh, I only saw Palm Springs off this uh, list. I, I'm a little embarrassed to say that I've seen uh, Hamilton and Borat. Uh, Did you not see Palm Springs? I thought we we talked about that one. Did we watch Palm Springs? Which one was that one? That's Andy Samberg. It's the Groundhog Day kind of movie where the day keeps repeating. Mm, I don't think that was me. Oh, okay. Well, that's fair. Uh, yes. Uh, how was Borat subsequent movie film? I remember when the first one came out, you and I very much diverged on that film. You were a big fan and I was not. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember it's been a long time since I've seen the first one, but I mean, I remember laughing quite hysterically at it. Um, the second one, I, I don't know. I, it's, I don't think it's, it's not that it's necessarily bad, but it's definitely, that same type of humor and i just don't know that that same type of humor is really funny anymore you know like i feel like it's kind of out of season if you will um Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean i had some chuckles here or there but i think overall I, i i don't think it's nearly i don't think i enjoyed it nearly as much as i did the first one you know yeah and i i don't mean this as an insult or even as a uh uh, as a boast, but you are definitely a different person than you were when the first Borat movie came out. So uh, I can understand that this might not be your taste anymore. And if uh, even if I mean even if it is the jokes that are that are not as good, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it does. And I mean, like you know, obviously. The first one came out, and a lot of people know who he is or the character is, and so. You know, that presents some unique challenges for this film where he, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen, a.k.a. Borat, kind of has to take a back seat because people are on to him. You know what I mean? Like, you can't do the same thing multiple times. And so I feel like that also has a large part to do with it uh, because they focused a lot more on... uh, the actress that's playing his daughter in this. And, yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I, I... I think the first one was funny for what it was and when it was, but I, yeah, I, I think that maybe that type of humor is just aged or hasn't aged well for me at least. Uh, and I don't think we need to say anything about Hamilton. Everybody pretty much loves it. I personally have not watched it yet, so I can't really speak to it, but yes, uh, Hamilton definitely belongs on there. I love Palm Springs. It was probably one of my, it definitely was one of my top three movies from last year. So, I am happy that it is on this list. Uh, I don't know anything about music, and I know The Prom was a very successful Broadway show that got adapted to a Netflix movie by James Corden. So there's Hmm. that. Uh, Best performance by an actress in a motion picture, musical, or comedy. And first one off is Maria Bakalova from Borat's subsequent movie film, the daughter that you spoke of. Yeah, Uh, there you go. 
Kate Hudson in Music, Michelle Pfeiffer in French Exit, Rosamund Pike, I Care a Lot, and Anya Taylor Joy in Emma. Uh, I want to watch I Care a Lot. That trailer looks great. And I love Rosamund Pike. I think she's a great actress. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't remember hearing anything about Emma. Like I knew of the trailer and I knew the movie came out, but I didn't, I didn't remember hearing anybody say about, say anything about it. Uh, same as French exit and music with, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Kate Hudson respectively. Um, anything you want to speak to from these other than what you said about Maria Bakalova? Uh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. You know, like I said, I'm I'm just kind of trying to, Keep up. <laughs> I need to do a much better job of it. Uh, best performance by an actor in a motion picture, musical, or comedy. Sasha Baron Cohen, Borat, sub- subsequent movie film. James Corden, The Prom. Lin-Manuel Miranda, Hamilton. Dev Patel, The Personal History of David Copperfield. And Andy Samberg, Palm Springs. I mean, this is a pretty heavy-hitting um, category right here. Uh, once again, I love Andy Samberg and Spalm Springs, it's, but it's the only one that I've seen out of all the, the nominations. I love Deb Patel and just about everything. So I, I know I wanted to watch the personal history of David Copperfield. Just hadn't, I have no idea where to go watch it at, uh, where it's available right now. It's probably on VOD somewhere. James Corden always usually gives a good performance and Sasha Baron Cohen has been playing Borat for many years. So I'm sure, uh, it's a, it's a good performance as well. And then, we all know about Lin-Manuel Miranda and Hamilton. So uh, anything you can say about his performance in particular? Lin-Manuel's or Borat's? Lin-Manuel. Or, uh, it's Hamilton, right? Like, I mean, people love it. it either it, Again, not a lot of middle ground on that one. I think most people love it. I think a lot of people were caught off guard and taken, you know, kind of by storm uh, with it. It just kind of came at the right time, I think. And... Uh, I really enjoy it. You know, it's very easy to get into the music of it. I think it's all put together very well. Uh, Obviously, just like every real life thing that's turned into, uh, you know, another creative medium, there's some liberties that are taken, of course. And and I know that some people were like, oh, it's not 100% accurate. It's like, well, yes, they, they don't have all the time in the world to directly one-to-one scale recreate Hamilton's life and it's a musical and it's, you know, all these other things. So, uh, yeah, but I mean, you know, his performance as is everyone else's performance in it is, is what you would expect. I think, uh, in, in terms of taking a, a theatrical, uh, musical and, and making it into kind of a, uh, it's not really turning it into a movie. It's just kind of capturing it in a more cinematic way, I guess and allowing you to see the actual theater performance without having to go to Broadway or enter the lottery to buy tickets to get into the show on Broadway, of course, because, you know, it's pretty hard to go see it. Um, when, when we could go see it. <laughs> right, when when you could even go see it, exactly. But yeah, no, it, it's it, it's definitely enjoyable. Um, okay. <laughs> Best. I, I, I don't know how he would stack up against the other ones because I really haven't seen most of it. I think it's better than Borat, but I mean, again, <laughs> uh, I mean, you know. I'm pretty sure he's a shoe in to win. Uh, so there's that. Best motion picture animated: The Crude's A New Age, Onward, Over the Moon, Soul, and Wolfwalkers. Now, I saw Onward and Soul both on Disney Plus. 
Wolfwalkers was on Apple TV Plus. Did you happen to watch that? No, I, out of all those, I've seen Soul, and I think that's it. You didn't watch Onward. That's that's surprising. I did not watch Onward. <laughs> no, uh, not yet. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe I'll get to it. But definitely, I, I, I think I think you would enjoy that one. You should definitely get, give that one a try. Uh, Wolfwalkers. I've I've heard good things. I haven't seen it myself. Over the Moon, once again, it's very critically acclaimed. Obviously, it's on the Golden Globes uh, nominations. And The Crude's A New Age, I think, is a very interesting uh, story behind it. Not the story of the movie, but the story of the release of the movie. Because it was the first one to like do the VOD instead of or day of uh, with the box. Like it was supposed to, when it was supposed to come out in the, in the theaters. Mm-hmm. Or was that World Tour? No, I'm sorry. That was Trolls World Tour. So... Never mind. I will take that back. Uh, super similar, though. I yeah, guess. super similar story. Yeah. Uh, best picture, best motion motion picture, foreign language, another round, La Llorona, The Life Ahead, Minari, and Two of Us. And I have seen none of these. I have heard people talk about another round, though. It stars Mads Mikkelsen, and both supposedly really good. Best performance by an actress in a supporting role in any motion picture. Glenn Close, Hillbilly Elegy. Olivia Coleman, The Father. Jodie Foster, The Mauritanian. Uh, Amanda Seyfried, Mank. And Helena Zingle, News of the World. I recently watched News of the World. And if this is the young lady that plays the, the young woman, the young girl in the movie, it is. She does do a phenomenal job. Like, one of the things that you, when you're watching children act, uh, I always know it's like it's got to be hard for directors to find the right young actor to pull a role off because they just don't have the ability, I think, to one, play off of other actors and two, uh, get the emotion right because they're just they haven't lived enough life, I think. But this young woman does a very good job. So if you get a chance to watch News of the World with Tom Hanks and Helena Zengel, you should. Uh, Jodie Foster, I I, I could have sworn that she said she was retiring from acting and was only going to be directing, but she's in this movie. Olivia Coleman for The Father and Glenn Close, Hillbilly Elegy. I mean, I have not heard good things about Hillbilly Elegy, which is hilarious that it is not, she's nominated, so she must do a really good job. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I really haven't heard too many good things about that either. Um, I think I sat down one day and I was about to turn it on. And then I was like, man, I'd rather watch something else. And I didn't watch it. Um, (laughs) I think mostly because of that same situation. I mean, like I do like to watch things that kind of form my own opinion, but like, you know, like you said, my time's kind of so limited right now that it had so many like bad things that I heard about it that I was like, maybe I'll just watch it later. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and I do need to go back and watch it and kind of form my own opinion on it later. But yeah, that's uh, kind of what I recall happening there. Yeah, I would love. I would love to, if you get the opportunity to go and you know uh, watch some of these movies before the Golden Globes actually happen and see what you what your opinion is on a lot of these. Uh, best performance by an actor in a supporting role in, a, in any motion picture: Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of Chicago Seven. So that means he's nominated twice for two different roles. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, which I believe the rest of us haven't got to see yet because it's going to be coming out on HBO Max. Jared Leto, The Little Things, and we're going to talk about his performance later tonight. 
uh, Bill Murray on the Rocks and Leslie Odom Jr. One Night in Miami, which is a movie we did talk about. So, uh, have you seen On the Rocks? And I assume you haven't seen Jodas and the Black Messiah because I don't think anybody has that isn't press. So, have you yeah, seen I haven't. On the Rocks? <laughs> uh, I don't. I, I haven't seen that one either. I know what it's about him and uh, what is her name? The actress that is the daughter of Quincy Jones. It's Rashida, Rashida Jones. Rashida Jones. Thank you, yeah. Rashida Jones. Uh, they are going to spy on her husband, who she believes is having an affair on her. And her father, who is Bill Murray, uh, is a notorious womanizer and cheated on her mother. So it's it's an interesting story in that way, I believe. Uh, what do you think of Sasha Baron Cohen's performance in The Trial of Chicago 7, if you want to elaborate any more from what we talked about before when we did that movie? I mean, I feel like if he was going to win an award, it it would be for that performance over over the Borat performance. Um, and again, maybe that's pretty short-sighted on my part, but I, I just – I really liked uh, that film. I really liked his performance in that film. I felt like it was something that was – genuinely very unique for him um i mean obviously he's done some versatile roles but i think traditionally he kind of does stick a little bit more to comedy and so seeing him really really break away from that in a pretty big way i thought was extremely enjoyable and and yeah i could see him winning for that role over borat for sure let me ask you this. Leslie Odom Jr. is nominated for Night in Miami, uh, but he is also famously in Hamilton. Like, How do you feel about his performance in those two um, movies uh, compared to each other? Uh, I mean, again, I think that's really hard because, I mean, there's not... And this isn't to like take anything away from it, but... To me, there's not, I don't know, in Hamilton, there's not really a lot of what I would constitute as like acting per mm-hmm. se. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you, you are kind of embodying this character, but you're doing it in a very unorthodox way. And it's, it's more about the music, you know, conveying the character in the story and not really about like nuanced performances. Um, and again, that's not, necessarily to say that one is better than the other i think they're just completely different things so it's i think it's really hard to excuse me to like speculate on on that specifically but i mean again i would think that if you were looking at performance um or acting performance that oh my gosh so sorry i think if you were looking more at acting performance it it would you know you would kind of look at one night in Miami and not Hamilton if that makes any sort of sense it does i i mean i can understand what you're saying uh so there i i it's, that's interesting to me since i had not seen hamilton yet best director for a motion picture emerald fennel for promising young woman david fincher mank regina king one night in miami aaron sorkin the trial of chicago 7 and chloe zhao nomadland uh hey for this category you got 3 Cause I made you watch them. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, how do you feel uh, of those three movies being nominated? Not so much which one you think is going to win, but just how do you feel about them being nominated? 
again, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I think there's been, you know, some pretty good movies this year, like overall, but I still, I don't know, I still feel like we, or at least maybe I just didn't watch or wasn't exposed to as many movies, but I just feel like there wasn't as many powerful movies as there usually are. Like, I feel like we usually get kind of this Oscar-y season that happens and i just kind of don't really feel like we necessarily got i think we got some good movies but i don't really remember watching anything that just completely blew me away you know let me ask you this do you think that might be because it was uh watching them at home as opposed to watching in a theater like if you would have watched one night in miami in a in a movie theater as opposed to at home would you have had a stronger connection to those characters I I mean it's I think it's certainly possible. Um I don't necessarily want to say I think that's what happened. I mean, I I do identify that there could be some some parallels to those things, but you know, I w- when I do watch movies, I traditionally kind of try to watch them alone anyway, uh ex- at least at home. Obviously when in, when you go to the theater, you kind of don't really have as much control over that. But when I watch stuff at home, especially for the podcast, I tr- I genuinely try to watch it alone so that I'm not, you know, having any distractions or, you know, anything like that. And I and I usually try to wear headphones to really kind of like isolate myself, even from a uh, auditory standpoint. So I, I don't think so. But again, I mean, I can't deny that it's certainly possible because, you know, even with headphones, you're still not going to get the same audio experience that you're going to get at a theater. It's just not going to happen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's possible. I don't think that's what happened, but but it could be. I mean, I can't deny that it could be, you know? Yeah. Uh, best screenplay motion picture, Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman, Jack Fincher for Mank, Aaron Sorkin, The Travel of Chicago 7, Florena Zeller and Christopher Ham- Hampton for The Father, and Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. So the only one we switched out is One Night Miami for The Father in this one. Uh, once again, you've seen, th- uh, you saw two of these. <laughs> um, I, 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 like you said, I said, I, I just makes me want to watch uh, Promising Young Woman, The Father, and Nomadland more, knowing that these are, these, these are all, uh, nominated for best screenplay. Uh, so I, I, as soon as I'm able to, I'm going to watch these three and, and report back to you. Best original score, the motion for motion picture, Alexander Desplat for the Midnight Sky, Ludwig Gorenson for Tenet, James Newton Howard for News of the World, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross for Mank, Trent Reznor for At- and Atticus Ross and John Patiste for Soul. Uh, I've watched all five of these. Unfortunately, I am not the person to talk to about score for movies. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't tell you. Probably Soul, because that one's more about music, but that's how lame my brain is. I, I can't really depict score when I'm watching a movie. It doesn't, it doesn't resonate enough with me, if that's, if that's a good enough term. Uh, I think I remember big, big like uh orchestral sounds for the midnight sky uh george clooney's movie but i i really couldn't tell you um i'm sorry audience uh if you have a pick for one of these uh please let me know richard i know you watched tenant do you have any opinions on the score for tenant 
I mean, I really liked it. I, I, I really liked the soundtrack for that. I, 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 I kind of agree with you. I think it's a, kind of funny that Soul is in there and like it's pretty heavily laden with music. I mean, mm-hmm. that's a big portion of it. Uh, for me, I, I find Tenet to be interesting because there's elements to the score that are, are very, uh, or at least they feel very indicative of the of the plot and the theme of the movie. And, you know, it genuinely feels like there's parts of it that are playing forward and those same parts are playing backwards and it's creating this weird, uh, you know, harmonious type of moment that I don't think you traditionally ever get in a movie soundtrack. So I think from that standpoint, again, it's short-sighted because I haven't seen everything, but I think from that standpoint, for me, it's that uniqueness that I find really interesting that I, I could see that being a good reason that it might be kind of a front-runner is because it is doing something musically very, you know, or the musicality of it, I guess, is is kind of really different than what most people are used to experiencing. Um, and I think they leveraged it in a really fun and creative and clever way so i mean that's the only thing i could really say it's not like it's not like i heard any soundtracks this time around that i was like oh that didn't sound good you know because again i agree with you i don't think i'm like that musically inclined either like i couldn't break it down and be like well this 12 bars of this particular song like sent my brain into a pandemonium of awesomeness you know what i mean like i don't i don't have that ability uh but I think if I look at it from that standpoint, I, if that is in fact what they actually did, and it, it, it again, I don't know, it feels like that's what they did. I think that's a really interesting way of also using the soundtrack to help convey and further the the characterizations, plot, and themes of of Tenet, which I personally think is really smart. If that is what they did, it felt like it, but maybe I'm wrong. In uh, the last category, we're going to talk about. Uh because that will wrap up the motion picture side of uh, the Golden Globes, and we're a movie podcast. Best original song from a motion picture, Fight for You, Judas and the Black Messiah, Hear My Voice, The Trials, Chicago 7, IOC, uh, parentheses, Scene, The Life Ahead, Speak Now, One Night in Miami, and Tigress and Tweed, United States versus Billie Holiday. Sorry, I'm sorry, I just cannot talk more about music. I don't, I don't, I don't, have opinions on music so much anything you want to bring to that uh no i mean i feel like i'm kind of right there with you that is definitely not my forte it is is not my strong suit uh probably should be better at it but uh, (laughs) just not well if you have an opinion out there on the music or any of the movies that were nominated for uh golden globes please reach out to us uh find us on twitter but we're going to get into the, tr- uh, not the trial of Chicago 7. We did that one already. We're going to get into the little things, which can be found on HBO Max right now, maybe for the next week. <laughs> uh, so we're going to spoil it. If you haven't watched it, please pause the po- podcast, come back later, and then listen, or watch it, and then listen to our podcast. What? How did you feel after watching this movie, Richard? Like... Did you feel like you missed something? Uh, no, I didn't feel like I missed anything. I think I felt kind of the same way I felt after I got done watching the uncut gems, and that was just dirty. Ooh. I just felt unclean and and <laughs> gross, and kind of hated myself in a in a small way, I guess. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I guess I can, I can see that. I can see that, that reaction. I, I definitely felt like some material wasn't there for me, but then I okay. also feel like I wanted a movie that's not what the movie was giving me. Like, this isn't the movie that I thought I was getting wasn't the movie that John Lee Hancock, the writer director was giving me. Like, I, I, I like, it's very much wrapped up in this murder mystery of who killed. Um, I don't even remember who the victim was. Or the the young women uh, in this movie, but it's very much more about these cops and the life of being a cop and what it is to solve crimes and what it takes from you and what you can be pushed to do when you're, you know, on this level heightened level of, uh, of anxiety or uh, pressure, so to speak. Uh, all three of our main actors, Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto, to me, look so different than any other time I've ever seen any of them like perform. Jared Leto is wearing what has to be like a fake stomach because I've never seen the dude like not look real thin. Um, as well as Denzel Washington, like he's wearing very like clothes that make him look very frumpy, which I know that he is an older gentleman and putting on weight is a thing that we all do. But like, even in book of Eli, like he's, you know, in relatively good shape, uh, ex, uh, not ex equalizer. He is kicking ass and stuff like that. And Rami Malek, I mean, the last thing I saw him in was, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. So, he was in Freddie Mercury, like in shape, shape. So it was all very, very odd the way that to to picture them in this movie and the way they moved around. At least for me. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with that. Um, they all, yeah. I mean, Jared Leto specifically feels like a chameleon in this i mean it it, it's i don't even know how to describe it it's almost like if they got an uh, like a jared leto impersonator to be in the movie and be jared leto in a weird way like it's very strange like his his physical appearance in this and obviously i think the other side of that is the physicality because the the point of it is he has a very specific gait in this movie, like a mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. hyper sensationalized, way over the top, way over dramatized uh, gate uh, for obvious reasons. It's a storytelling device and it makes sense that it's there, uh, but it's, it's very jarring. Like it has a completely unnatural feel to it all of the time. And um, that kind of threw me for a loop, but I, I do want to backtrack for just a second and say that I absolutely uh, unequivocally agree with you. Uh, I definitely don't think or feel like the movie I was watching was the movie I was hoping or expecting to watch. <laughs> I totally agree with you on that. It's very strange. Yeah, no, like, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily upset about, about that. Like, I'm not upset that it's not the movie that I was thinking I was going to get, but it is a different movie altogether. And I, I, I feel like I should go back and rewatch the whole thing. But I think what's he, what's what's 
keeping me from doing that is that feeling that you brought up earlier of like not feeling clean because in the world that we live in now where we want our law enforcement officers to be held to a higher standard of not hurting people that don't need to be hurt. Uh, where is that line? And this movie definitely, you know, teeters on it, if not goes past it. Um, so as at this point, you should have, if you haven't watched it, you should not be listening. Rami Malek's character, uh, detective whatever uh baxter uh ends up killing jared leto's character albert sparma when he believes that well one like he he believes that jared leto's character has has killed all these women and has one that is being held somewhere at this at this point and he just keeps ribbing him and pushing him and pushing him uh, until the, until Rami Malek's character hits him and kills him with a shovel, like it's 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 there, it's foreshadowed, it is definitely coming. We know we all know it, but it just you you know it shouldn't happen because as we come to find out at the end of the movie, at least how I interpret it, is that he did not kill these women. He had absolutely nothing to do with the the murder of any of the women. He just was a more than likely mentally. Uh, ill person that that was looking for to integrate themselves into the uh, uh investigation in this one particular way and I'd, i'd maybe you know got off on the fact that he could push this young detective around yeah i mean if you ask me and again it goes back to like what i was saying about uh jared leto's uh gate being so over you know dramatized it's very clear from the very beginning if you watch that opening sequence of the guy that's out to murder women it is 1000 percent clear that that is definitely not jared leto's character um and i think it becomes evidently more and more and more clear that he was not involved and I agree with you. I think his thing is that he likes the attention aspect that he gets from people thinking that he's a serial killer. I think he gets uh, kind of off on the idea of having this manipulative power over the police, which I would assume he views as being this really dominant intellectual force. And so thus he feels more powerful by manipulating them. For me, um, I think, some of the bigger like things that I had with the, the, the film was I can kind of understand Denzel Washington's character's mistake, right? Because essentially what we find out through the course of it is that he killed uh, a woman who was potentially a, a, a victim or almost a victim of this crime, but he does it in a way that is kind of, for i don't want to say it's forgivable i guess but like it's at least you can at least kind of understand how it happened right like she was in the the thick of the woods it was at night like he couldn't really see something was coming out he accidentally fired or discharged his weapon and the girl died and then of course instead of taking responsibility like him and and his cohorts kind of uh bury it right Mm mm-hmm Again, that's not good. That's disgusting that that happens. But I feel like you can at least sympathetically understand how that happened, right? When it comes to Jim Baxter, 
and this whole degradation or or eroding of his mental psyche it's not enough in this movie. There, there was never enough in this movie that it that it pushed him to a breaking point, in my opinion. I, I didn't get sold on that fact. And when he's sitting there and he hits him with the shovel, it just comes across as stupid. Mm-hmm. It doesn't come across of like enraged or just complete mental degradation. Like to me, it just comes off as him being completely stupid. And it makes it really hard for me to even remotely empathize with his character. I'm just like, how could you be so stupid? Like, you, you've you been painted as this really uh, wonderful detective throughout the entirety of this. A very strong-willed detective, too, I, I might add. And very and by I the just, book. Yeah, that, exa- that too. Exactly. Like, so much so to the fact that I, it, the moment that he gets into the car with uh, Sparma... I'm just like, no way. That is such a contrivance that has to happen just for the story to happen. There was not this epic journey into his, his, you know, fall from grace, if you will, that I buy that even happening. And to me, I think that's really where the movie kind of fell apart for me and why it makes it so much like again what denzel's character does is not good by any stretch of the imagination but at least you can empathize with how it happens and you can empathize with the tumultuous horror and terror and all this stuff that he puts on himself like you can understand that it's it's very relatable because i think if any of us were in that situation we accidentally killed somebody we would also have a very hard time coming to terms with that happening. And we would have a very hard terms of, of accepting responsibility for it. Right. But when it comes to uh, Remy Malik's character, like I just, I, I don't, I can't in any way, shape or form be like, yeah, I get it. Like I just, fe- I'm just like, you were so stupid. Why would you do that? Like there's, there was nothing there that sold me on that. I, I get what you're saying, and, and yes, the that last quarter of the movie, I mean, the Act Three, he his character is just making dumb mistake after dumb mistake. But I think, to me, that's exactly what is supposed to happen because he is such a uh, good detective, great detective. Like his boss even calls him a hotshot. You know, you know, uh, Deke leaving left a, a spot open for you to come here and become a number one and stuff like that. So him not being able to solve this crime when all the other crimes have, have come so easily for him uh, just makes the, the manic, you know, anxiety in him go crazy. Uh, even to the point where his wife wakes up in the middle of the night and sees him just staring off in the distance uh, next to the pool. Uh, this is, I'm talking about this is before the end of the movie. Um, I, I, I think the director, writer, director, uh, John Lee Hancock, Hancock, uh, did a great job in, in showing us what it is that Deke did, uh, because of exactly your, your response of, you know, it's terrible what he did, but we kind of understand. And then, so he, the, they're, they're, the storyteller is pushing us a little bit for, well, if you can accept that can you accept this? And once again, like I find my, I, he was making dumb mistake after dumb mistake. Baxter was, but 
the guy sitting there just ribbing him and pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. I understand why he did it. I'm not saying that he what he did is right. I'm and he definitely should not have done it, and they definitely should not have covered it up. But I understand why he blew up. Is, is I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> this, well, this, and, and again, I I I I do agree with you, and I, and I'm not saying I couldn't ever see his character getting to that point. I I I just I don't think. I don't think they did enough to illustrate him going that far. I think they start to set it up and then mm-hmm. it happens so rapidly that it becomes unbelievable. And and that's my thing. And and maybe you're right. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe they spent so much time on making uh Deacon be this kind of like forgivable event that they lose sight of the fact that we should really be, I think, more focused on this kind of, like, wearing down of Baxter. Because, again, I agree with you. I think it. I could very easily buy him getting to that point. I just don't think the attempt at the movie does a good enough job of showing him actually breaking down to the point that you would believe that he would willfully cross that line. I, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think you. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I want to bring up the fact that uh, the medical examiner, that is uh, a friend of Deke's, uh, Flo Dunnigan, played by Michael Hyatt, uh, carries around the piece of evidence that could very much destroy all of them on her keychain. It is the the flowered bullet that she pulled from the dead body of the the girl that Deke killed. Uh, when he, when I you sh- she shows that at the at towards the beginning of the movie, I I know that they want you to look at it as oh it's just a little like metal flower thing, but I I and I'm not even a big gun person, so I I kind of already knew that was a bullet. Uh, what did you think of that particular piece of uh movie scene? Well, you know, again, I mean, it, it's there to obviously foreshadow, you know, events that are, are going to happen later on. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't know. I mean, people deal with it. it it's I think it's also difficult too is it, to even play devil's advocacy to my own point that I was making a few minutes ago about Baxter is, you know, it, it is difficult to, I guess, even and start to I, I like try, try to really break down the fundamentals of how people deal with trauma because everyone does it differently. And I mean, again, here is a person that would absolutely, under every circumstances known on the planet, know better than to keep a piece of evidence that could tie all of them back to this. You know, uh, same thing when he asks her to pull the file. Yeah. No. Um, you don't do it like that. And he even says that he even later says it. it's the little things that will get you caught. You walk away from this. You never pull the file. You never look at anything related to this. You never think of this moment again. And yet that's coming from a place of that's all he does. And apparently everyone that cooperate or collaborated with him to destroy the evidence or get rid of this potential thing does the same thing. You know what I mean? And so, again, it's it's very hard to be like, well, how the heck did these people get to where they are if they're this stupid? But again, it's also difficult because people definitely deal with traumatic situations very differently. And, we, you know, again, a lot of times when you're dealing with trauma or, or you know, certain emotions, 
the logistical side of your brain shuts down. But again, I, I, I just, it's so hard for me to believe that that lady would have kept that bullet. Um, yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, I, I again, it looks cool on film. I, I get it from a narrative storytelling standpoint, and that's uh, more often than not a good thing. Um, it's just in this particular thing, I, it just didn't work that well for me. I, I just remember seeing it instantly and being like, are you people really this? There's no way you people are this stupid. <laughs> like, there's just not any way. But again, you know, people do deal with things differently. So maybe the, maybe she just couldn't let it go you know until that the, until the, that moment you know uh let me ask you this going forward in the movie the part that we don't see does rami malik's character of jim baxter believe that he killed the right person because of deke sending him that hair beret uh yeah i think he does okay. i think he 100 percent does um he obviously at that point has showcased uh, nothing but trust and faith in Deacon. And I don't think that he would have any reason to question that, that, that that is legitimately the girl's barrette and that, you know, he Sparma Sparma did kill her like, and, and like something over the look of his face too, just to me, to me, I really do buy into that moment as as you know his okay, I can, I can move on again, which again yeah. leads into the fact of me feeling really disgusting inside because I'm like Deacon, what the f- man? Like you just gave this guy a green light to go out and do more stupid crap. Like you're you're kind of like enabling him to continue doing things, and like he probably sh- like if he crossed the boundary that relatively easy. He shouldn't be doing the job anymore. Like, why egg him on? But I get it. He also wants to give him peace and doesn't want him to destroy himself over the situation either. So it's kind of a weird catch-22 for sure. John Ling Hancock uh, has written quite a bit. He wrote uh, Snow White and the Huntsman, The Blind the Blind Side, uh, The Alamo, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, and uh, A Perfect World, which... Uh, Midnight in the Garden, Garden of Good and Evil and Perk Wilder are some of my favorite Clint Eastwood movies. Uh, the Blind Side obviously won all those awards. As, well, we don't need to talk about Snow White and the Huntsman, but The Alamo, sure. Uh, also directed uh, The Highwaymen, The Founder, Saving Mr. Banks, The Blind Side, The Alamo, The Rookie, uh, and Hard Time Romance, which I don't know what that is. But uh, anything in particular production wise that you'd like to bring up about this movie i mean i i think you know that's i guess maybe another side effect of it too is that um for a good portion of the movie i was actually kind of confused as to when this movie was taking place uh, it, it you know there was parts of it that felt like it was weirdly the 70s but then some of the technology was in the i mean i i guess we kind of end up figuring out it's in the it's in the early to mid nineties. Um, but it was just, I don't know the, I guess some of the production design choices and, and things like that just made it kind of ambiguous, which I almost felt like that's what they were going for at first is this ambiguous nature is that this could have happened to anyone at any time period. And if that's kind of where they were going, I would have been fine with it. But then we start getting more and more things that are, are really illustrating that this was in the nineties 
And I, I don't know why, but that that felt really strange to me for some reason. Again, maybe I just was hyper focused in on that for some reason. I'm not sure, but that that stuck out as kind of a really weird attempt to me at at you know conveying the time period of the piece. And I don't know, maybe that maybe that took me out. You know what I mean? Like maybe that did take me out of the movie a little bit, and maybe I I didn't pay attention to some of the more nuanced things that that would have helped me believe that Baxter would have fallen from grace so easily. Uh, but I thought that was really weird. It's not, and again, it's not that the production design is bad. I think it's I think the production design actually is really good. It's just the choices behind it throw me for a loop as to to when it's unfold i don't know did you experience that at all or is that just me so i did think it was weird at first and on, to be honest i missed the beginning the very beginning of the movie where it said 1990 and i was like i was a good like 30 minutes into the movie i was like why are all these cars old and why is no one using a cell phone and you know why what is going on here uh, I did have to go. I mean, I eventually put it together that it was it was like the '90s, and then I went after I watched them. I went back to watch this, watch the beginning to see if they mentioned that it was the 1990s. Uh, I, 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 according to the trivia, the John Lee Hancock wrote this movie right after he uh, wrote the A Perfect World with Kevin Costner. And uh, at one point in time, Steven Spielberg, Clint Eastwood, and Danny DeVito were all attached to direct this movie. Uh, I definitely think that you keep it in the nineties because you have to make it so that cell phones aren't around because, you know, problems, some of the problems could have been solved with cell phones. And th- that's a thing that we have to do nowadays. And, and when you're making movies or, or TV shows, like is, will, will modern technology, uh, save, save a person or, or get you out of a situation? Do we need to set this in the past? So I didn't. It didn't take me out of the movie too much. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, you're, I don't remember that either. I don't remember seeing the date specifically set at the beginning of the movie either. That's that's it's, fascinating. I wonder... I'll, I'll tell you this: it is real quick and hmm. it is really small. So <laughs> it, I'm guessing that's why I missed it the first time and why you missed it also. I mean, again, I th- yeah, but I feel uh, apparently that's maybe where I should have taken more to heart with the title. All the little things I should have been paying more attention <laughs> to, maybe, I, I guess. Um, yeah, okay, well, that's it. Yeah, I, and and maybe that would have made the experience different for me. Because, again, it's it's not like it's bad. It, it's not like the production design's bad. It just felt like really weird choices to me. But now that, again, as you discover that it's in the 90s, you're right. And... And yeah, it's it's the same situation. I mean, there's a lot of things in this movie that if it was set in, you know, 2020 or whatever, like cell phones would have solved a lot of these issues very quickly, I would assume, you know. Um yeah, I again, I think the the production design's good. It's weird choices for me, but uh I think the cinematography also, I think the mu- the movie is is very beautifully shot. Um, there's a lot of really good visual moments, um, especially kind of between, uh, Deacon and, uh, Sparma, like the whole car thing that goes on where they're kind of like, he's kind of following him and chasing him and then talking about the car trunk and Mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff. Like there definitely is a lot of really interesting visual moments and I, and I feel like it's filmed well, um, I just it's it's so weird to me though because I really feel a lot like Uncut Gems where 
I think if you were to listen to this, you'd be like, oh, this guy hates this movie. And it's like, I don't hate it. <laughs> I don't love it. But I also don't know if I actually liked it. But I do appreciate that it evokes a lot of uncomfortable emotions. And, and, and again, I feel like anytime you can do that as a storyteller, no matter what your medium is, I do feel like that is a job well done because inevitably, whether we like the feelings that we have or the emotional response that we have to something we're consuming isn't necessarily the ultimate goal, right? Like if it was, I mean, I probably would have just put a comedy on, you know, not something that was like a dark dramatic movie. But I do think there is something to particularly point out of value when you can elicit some sort of emotional response, regardless of whether or not you like that response as an audience member. I still feel like you have successfully accomplished something if you can make that happen. And remarkably in this movie, there was so many times where you're witnessing the perceived actions of this serial killer and you're feeling disgusting and gross and uh, hatred for them i guess as well but then you share those same emotional responses for these characters that are in law enforcement and the and, and like that's a job that traditionally we're taught as as people is a is a wholesome job and that good people do those jobs and so i don't know man this movie just put me in a weird spot i guess is what i'm really <laughs> getting at um that's fair that's fair I, did I, did you feel any of that or am i am i just is it just weird hour for me over here or no no i think i i think i was put in the exact same headspace as you i think uh i think in and I have to believe that's what this movie wanted to do. It wants to put you in that headspace and and make you question those kind of things. So uh, maybe kudos to the the movie maker. Um, but yes, it is. It is a very, like I like I said. I, it's a movie that I felt like I should have gone back and rewatched, but really couldn't pull myself to do so because it didn't leave me in a good place, so to speak. No, I think I think that totally makes sense. I mean, I, I feel the same way. Like, I I definitely, you know, because I I remember watch. I, I did go back and look at one one scene in particular because there's a spot where Deacon breaks into Sparma's house. Right, he he somehow convinces uh, Baxter to let him go in without a warrant, and he's like, "Give me five minutes." And he goes in and he finds kind of this um, cubby hole. hidden compartment, yeah, right under the floor. And he's going through that, and and I did I do think this is a pretty nice touch. Um, I'm not sure if this was John Lee Hancock's choice or if someone else came up with it or whatever, but whoever involved came up with the choice. I thought it was pretty clever. But if you watch, he's rifling through the box of of murder paraphernalia, I guess, if you will, and there is a red object, a, a, a sizable red object that is shown for just a brief moment. And I remember being like, oh, interesting. And then when the, the the conversation later happens between Baxter and Deacon, and he's like, she was wearing a red barrette. And I thought, oh, well, he might actually be the killer then because we did see this red object in this, this uh, hidden compartment. And so I did go back and look at that, and it's actually just a giant red rabbit's foot. <laughs> uh, but I thought that was a very clever attention to detail moment that... Again, if you're someone who's 
you know, watching it. And I mean, obviously I'm paying attention and I still was like, oh, I, you know, I didn't have enough visual acuity in the moment to be like, that's a rabbit's foot. Uh, but obviously when you go back and pause it on it, you can very clearly tell that's what it is, but it's enough to, to put that moment of doubt in your mind as a viewer that when you hear Baxter be like, she was wearing a, a red beret, you're like, Oh, this is the guy I was wrong. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he is right. Good. The guy's dead. Then it gets to the very last shot and Deacon is burning all of this guy's stuff because they've murdered him. He's hid the body. He's taken all this stuff. So he's covering up for Baxter now. And, we get, you know, we get the shot of of Baxter opening the envelope from Deacon and it has the red bread. And I was like, oh, OK, well, yeah. So it it was him. It was in the thing. And then it cuts back to him with a package of breads and the candy, the candy apple red one is missing. You're like, oh, no, no, nope. he just gave it to him. <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, I did I did want to point that out because I thought that was a, a nice touch of visual storytelling that it's that it gave you just a quick moment to have that doubt and to be like, well, maybe, you know what I mean? Cause I felt like outside of that, I felt like the rest of it was pretty crystal clear that he was not the guy. And that was the only moment that really kind of made me doubt it. But again, I, I, I think it's, I think it was just a really nice touch, a really well done moment for sure. All right. Uh, if you have an opinion on this movie and you'd love to share it with us or anything else we talked about, please reach out to me. I'm on Twitter at Mitchipedia, G-E-M. G-E-M stands for Geek Elite Media. Richard, where can people find you online? Yeah, so you can actually go to rycohen.com, R-I-C-O-W-N.com, and uh, you can find all my social links there. The rest of Geek Elite Media is at Geek Elite Media on Twitter, at Geek Elite Media on Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Media is our Facebook page. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on our network on our website, geekelitemedia.com. Check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Geek Elite Media for exclusives that you can only get if you're one of our patrons. And whatever podcatcher you use to listen to us, please rate and review us so it helps spread the word of our network. But until next time, this is the Mitch and Rich Show on the Geekly Media Network saying always remember to geek out. Geek out. This concludes our broadcast. Peace.